0: All right, the title of this message is Jesus, verse 2,000 Demons. Now, the title could be a little bit incorrect. We don't know exactly how many demons there are in this story. Later on, uh, the demon-possessed man is going to say that he is, uh, give his name as Legion, meaning that there are a vast number. It could be well over 2,000. Uh, We know it's at least 2,000 because in the Gospel of Mark, uh, when the demons leave, they go into 2,000 different uh, pigs. So I almost called this message, gave it the title of the Demon Pigs of Grasinese. thought, well, that'll get people's attention. Well, it kind of sounds like an episode of Mystery Science Theater 3000. So um, I'll just say, if you've never heard this story before, I guess I probably have your attention now. Like, what did I come for to hear this? Uh, yeah, this is, this is quite the story. And even if you've heard this many times, I ask you to use your God-given imagination to try and make this into a, a vivid movie going on in your mind to imagine what this would be like. And this is a story that does deal with, uh, with the demonic realm and gives us some insight as far as how that works. It's still going to leave us with a lot of questions. It doesn't answer everything. And... I think when we deal with issues as far as uh, Satan, the demonic, I think there's some good cautions we always need to remind ourselves of different errors that we can fall into. I don't know, have any of you ever read uh, The Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis? Uh, C.S. Lewis, um, he's the author of The Chronicles of Narnia, a lot of other Christian books as well. And he wrote this one book called The Screwtape Letters, and it is a, a fictional work of this imaginary uh, correspondence between a two demons. One that's a more senior, experienced demon, and a younger one that he is, uh, he is training in the art of how to tempt and to how to deceive. And it's fiction, but it gives us a lot of insight into how these things often work. But in the preface to the whole thing, C.S. Lewis writes this, and I think it's helpful. He says, There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence, and the other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail the materialist and the magician with the same delight. We can fall into either of these errors. There are many that just deny that this is a part of reality. The Bible does say that there is this realm, and this is something that is, this is real, not to just be explained away. And so we'd be foolish to ignore that or to think it's not a reality. But also, you can run the risk of uh, fixating on this to an unhealthy degree, where some it becomes more their focus than Jesus Christ. And if we get to a point where thinking about demonic things is more interesting to us than thinking about Jesus and the cross and the gospel, well that's that's a sign that we're getting off base here. I read an account of one Bible study that some uh, people had that uh, started off good. They were digging into God's word, and they started looking at things as far as uh, demons and spiritual warfare. But they got obsessed with this to the point where one of their, their Bible studies, uh, at the end of it, they became convinced that there was uh, demons in the chandelier in the dining room. And they concluded their, their Bible study by dismantling uh, the, the chandelier and every member taking a different piece of it uh, so they could bury it in different parts of the, the city to, I guess, get rid of the demons in the chandelier. I think we have to remind ourselves that every time there's a, there's, there's a loose wire in the, in the chandelier, it doesn't necessarily mean this is caused by a demon. Okay, so on one hand, they're a real thing, but we also have to not be given uh, too much credit or more focus than is healthy. So, let's look at what Scripture actually says. We are in, as we said, the Gospel of Luke chapter 8, and we will read through this in different parts. And we'll start here, verse uh, 26, and we'll notice the encounter. That Jesus encounters a man who is possessed by thousands of demons. So if you remember last time, this was uh, Jesus. He calmed the sea. They were out at the, on the Sea of Galilee, and a big storm rose up, and they thought they were going to die. And these experienced fishermen, they uh, asked Jesus, you know, we are perishing, and he calmed The sea and ask, Where is your faith? So now they they arrive at the other side, um, which is uh, Gentile territory. And we'll notice this because Jews wouldn't have anything to do with pigs, but this is Gentile territory. And we see there's a massive amount of uh, pig farming over here. Verse 26 They sailed to the country of the Gresenes, which is opposite Galilee. And when Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. And for a long time he had worn no clothes and had not lived in a house but among the tombs. And he saw Jesus. when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of, him, out of the man. For many a time it had seized him, and he was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. All right, let's stop there for a moment and think through what's going on here. So Jesus, he goes across the sea, and think of this man that, that he encounters here that is, uh, that is demon-possessed. Think of some of the characteristics about this man. It says that he had, uh, he had many demons. It would be bad enough to be possessed by, by one demon. And he doesn't just have uh, you know, 20 here. He has, uh, we'll see later in verse 30, he says his name is, is Legion. So he'll be describing how many demons he has, a, a Roman legion. Sometimes it would vary, but it was uh, in this time commonly about 6,000. Now, we don't know how accurate, you know, the the demon speaking through this man was intending to be, but at least he had very many. At least we're going to see he had 2,000 because uh, the book of Mark tells us that uh, when the demons leave, it entered 2,000 swine. We also see, it says here, um, that for a long time he had worn no clothes. So here also we have... uh, this guy is, is running around in the tombs and he is running around buck naked for a long time. So he is demon-possessed. He is running around. He is, he is uh, buck naked. And I think there's something that we can gain from this as well too. Uh, demons, they caused him to be, to be shameless. Something that he should have realized, this is not how I ought to be. There should be some shame in in this that would cause him to clothe himself. He, not being in his right mind, being possessed by demons, didn't care. And so this sense of shamelessness, when there ought to be a sense of right shame that would cause him to clothe himself, uh, was part of um, his situation. He didn't care about his his decency. I think we can realize that's something that, say, sin does to people today as well. Uh, There might be literal examples of this in the same way with uh, uh, people on on TV or doing different things, but all kinds of different ways where sin causes us to not experience a healthy sense of shame about something that should prompt us to to make changes, a view for um, for a, a certain type of decency. This man was isolated it said he was not living in a, um, in a house, but among the tombs. So you can think of a few different things here. First of all, he's living among the tombs. That's not where you would live. That's unclean. I mean, uh, to the, the Jews, they weren't supposed to be around uh, corpses. But just for any of us, we would realize you don't want to live in a place where there's decaying human flesh that is uh, both physically, morally unclean. It's unsanitary but there's something to say about what sin does to us as well that when when we are in the grips of sin we find ourselves not minding living where it's unclean where we're in uh, just in decay and this man very literally was uh, living there among the tombs and he is uh, crazed and uncontrollable talks about him having supernatural strength you know breaking these chains they couldn't uh, keep him, uh, keep him bound. So exactly how that works, I don't know. How the supernatural strength—you know—if the demon is tapping into his adrenal gland, or if something else, or an addition is going on with that. But basically, he is out there, out of his, out of his mind, uh, living as an animal. Uh, Mark five five adds. It says, night and day, among the tombs and on the mountains. He was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. So part of the situation, he's in—I mean, he's out there howling at the moon, carrying on. He's—he's he's harming himself, cutting himself. Uh, there's some very serious and, and deep issues uh, that he has. Whether he was uh, trying to get the demons out by cutting himself, or the demons were causing him to uh, to inflict pain upon himself. And I think that is one thing also that, I mean, Satan loves to cause pain to us or for us to cause pain uh, to ourselves, sometimes literally and physically, but in other ways as well. He was also isolated. He's out there, he's not among normal society. He's out uh, by himself living in, in these tombs, cut off from society. And I think that's another thing that, a sin and the influence of Satan wants us to do is to be cut off from healthy relationships, to isolate us and put this out there on our own and to cut us off from the people that could help us and to turn away from them. Now, I'll share this with you because you might see this and I'd rather have you uh, notice this right away, but you know, if you look at the account of this, it describes it also in Mark and in Matthew and some of the different accounts give some different details. If you look in Matthew, it actually talks about there being two demon-possessed men. Now, there would be some that would say, Oh, the Bible, see, the Bible is full of errors. And this is a mistake that uh, Luke and Mark, they say one, where Matthew says there's, there's two. But that is, that's no error. It just means that uh, there were at least maybe two and Luke is focusing on the, the main one here that's part of the story. And sometimes this happens with our conversations as well. Let's say you came to church here today and you um, had a, a good conversation with uh, my wife, Hope. And later on, you're talking to someone else and you say, I was, at, I was at church and I had a great conversation. I saw the pastor's wife and we had a great conversation. Now, would that necessarily mean, oh, well, Hope was at church, but Pastor wasn't at church? Well, no, just because you didn't mention the other one doesn't mean that he wasn't there. So in the same way, uh, Luke, for his purposes, he's focusing on the main one here. We don't know if the other guy was right with him all the time or if these off in the, the distance or how exactly this works, but sometimes you find it in Scripture where there's a focus on one that's not denying that there might be someone else. But as I was thinking about it a little bit, I kind of realized maybe there's another application there, too, because I wanted to say, well, sin causes us oftentimes to be isolated from from healthy relationships. Uh, Satan loves to keep us alone and cut off from people that could, could help us, that could be what, what is healthy and good for us. Well, does this wreck that point by saying, well, there's another demon-possessed guy out there, too, and... We don't know if they're buddies or just you know howling at the moon you know together in different parts you know or maybe they fight each other that could be happening too but realize i think sometimes even with our relationships when when things are not right with us when when sin and satan are having their way sometimes we fool ourselves into thinking that we're we're in a we have good friendships or we have relationships but if it's another person that's also out of their mind Okay, if it's another person that is, is, uh, you know, shameless and howling at the moon and all of this, that is, that's not the type of friend that still you need. That is not what is going to actually help you. But very too often, you know, we think, well, I have this other person here, and well, we have these things in common, and that's what I need. Uh, If, if, You're howling at the moon and they're howling at the moon. Don't think that this is normal and good just because you're both doing it. So maybe there's another application there that does help us out. Uh, Satan does try to keep us separated uh, from from the type of real friendships, real relationships that we actually do need. So this is what this man is like. And so if you ever thought that you were having a bad day, okay, the things were out of control in your life, just compare yourself to this guy for a little bit. I mean, have you been you know, running around the graveyard uh, you know, naked for quite a long time, uh, howling at the moon? Uh, there are times where our lives are out of control. There are times when things are not the way they ought to be. But if you compare yourself to this gentleman, you would realize, wow, he had it much worse. If you had to switch, probably no matter how bad things are, you wouldn't want to switch with this guy. And even more importantly, if you compare your problems with this guy, and even asking yourself, which would you rather have? Think about this. If Jesus can help this guy, then certainly he can help you. This guy was demon-possessed. And this is um, something we see according to Scripture that demons were able to do. They could take... Uh, possession of of someone. And they were able to speak through him. And they said, even refer to him as Jesus, son of the most high God. Which, by the way, that's correct. And sometimes demons, hey, they can have good theology. They can get some things really right. And there's times too where we can get certain theological items right, But that in itself does not mean that we have a good relationship with God. I mean, you could pass a theology exam with 100%, but if you're still opposed and in rebellion to him and not trusting him, then just getting those answers correct, as good as that is, is not the ultimate or the main thing. In Matthew he adds, have you not come here to torment us? And he adds, before the time. I think this demon knew there was a time when judgment was coming, but he was hoping to not have to uh, be punished earlier than he had to. So this man, he was in real rough shape. Now there are some that would read this and they would say, well, this is an example of, this is an example of mental illness. And there's some commentators that would look at this and explain try to explain all of this merely that this man had mental illness that he was dealing with. And mental illness is something that, that God definitely cares about. Mental illness is something that God can can help people through in a variety of different ways. This man did not merely suffer from mental illness. I mean certainly he had mental illness, but it was mental illness that was in this circumstance was caused by demonic activity. We know it was not merely mental illness because mental illness cannot be transferred into pigs as we will see later on in this story. So, demon possession is a real thing, and sometimes it can be hard to know when when a situation in somebody when it is mental illness or when it is demon possession or sometimes when it's a combination. Of the two things, may I ask, Pastor, have you ever encountered someone that was that was possessed, or at least seriously oppressed by demons? I believe, probably yes. There was a time as a as a youth leader that I and another leader we had to actually wrestle a knife away from a, a young woman that was trying to injure herself, because as she told us, the the voices were mad at her every time she heard the name of Jesus. And we had to take away the immediate uh, danger and and a lot of prayer for her. I believe that only unbelievers really can be possessed by demons. Although I believe that there can be varying degrees of oppression for Christians, that Satan can try to, and his demons try to mess with us and tempt us. But I believe that only non Christians can really be possessed. Because if you're a genuine Christian, one of the things that happens is the Holy Spirit takes residence inside of you. And I don't think the, the Holy Spirit is willing to be roommates uh, with demons. So if this is something that you know, does cause you concern, the main and most important thing for you to do is to turn to Jesus Christ and to be saved and to have assurance of that salvation. Because then you have he that is in you that is stronger than he that is in the world. And so I just implore you, the main thing is for you to make sure that you are right with Jesus Christ and that you have trusted him. And then once God by the Holy Spirit is in your life, there can still be temptation, but not this uh, possession. So next we see, first we saw the encounter, next we see this exorcism that happens, this casting out of these demons. So in these next verses, starting with verse 30, Jesus drives the demons out of this man and it says into a herd of pigs. Verse thirty. Jesus then asks him, What is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon possessed man had been healed. So, in this section, first we see the, uh, the exorcism itself and demons being driven out in, into, these, into these pigs. And this is one of these things we think of okay, what's really going on here? This, I mean, if you imagine this happening, this would be quite, quite the thing to behold or to experience. First of all, in verse 30, when Jesus asked him what his name was, as we said, uh, he, he says his legion, which maybe isn't his specific name of any one of them. He's just saying there's lots and lots and lots of us. Uh, as we said, a Roman legion contained about 6,000 foot soldiers plus 120 horses and technical support. In Mark 5.13, that's where it says that there were about 2,000 pigs and so if it takes one demon to possess at least one of these pigs for that to happen, well, we'd assume there are at least 2,000 of these uh, demons. Although, as we can see, more than one demon can, uh, can share space. So there could be far more than, uh, than 2,000. In verse 31, we see the demons beg Jesus not to send them into the abyss. Okay, so what is that? When we look at scripture, the abyss seems to be a place or some kind of dimension of confinement for demons. Some kind of demon jail that that they can be sent to. There are many demons that we see from scripture that they're allowed to be on the earth and and roaming. And unfortunately uh, for us, that they can be influencing and and trying to lead people into temptation. Uh, But... There is this place that there is the abyss. One place that it talks about it is in the book of Revelation. In Revelation 20, verse 1 through 3, it talks about something that happens at the uh, end times. It says, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven holding the keys of the abyss and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he threw him into the abyss and shut it and sealed it over him so that he would not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were completed. And after these things, he must be released for a short time. We don't have time to get into all of this, but it seems that the abyss is a different place from the lake of fire, which is the final destination for Satan and all those that that follow him. So the demons, they do not want to be sent uh, to the abyss. And so they ask that he, they could be instead sent into these, into these pigs. And Jesus allows this to happen. The demons enter the pigs. And it seems that uh, the, the being possessed by these demons makes these pigs just go crazed. And they end up running off the, the, the cliff and plunging into uh, the Sea of Galilee. And they're, and they're drowned. I mean, think of what a, just an awful experience, what a sight this would be you know, to, to see this, to hear this. I mean, that's a lot of pigs. and all Plunging and, and going to their, their death in the sea and uh, the, the sound of demon-possessed pigs drowning. This is quite a graphic thing that sticks out in our minds, which leads us to a lot of questions. Why would this happen like this? Why would the demons want to... Uh, go into the pigs why were they Why did they want this? Why did Jesus allow this to happen and i 'll just have to confess to you that we don 't have one hundred percent answers on these things, and sometimes it is far better to be silent where scripture doesn 't give us the the explanations. I would love to give you the secret answers as far as all this works out. And I think it's one of these things where we have some information on how this works out from Scripture and there's other things that we would just kind of be guessing. As I was thinking about it, maybe my best guess, at least at the moment, maybe is that the demons, they did not want to be sent into the abyss. And they realized, well, that's the punishment that Jesus probably is giving us and we don't want this. And maybe they figured that Jesus was not willing to just let them go free into the air because they would just go and possess other people then and they knew that they were going to get confined somewhere. So maybe it's kind of like when one of the kids does something wrong, you know, and so they offer up like an alternate punishment. Okay, you know, take this away rather than this and they try to see if that's going to be okay with mom and dad instead. So maybe entering the pigs was a form of imprisonment for them that they found to be preferable to the abyss. Again, that's that's a guess. I don't really know how this works. If they were trying to pick their punishment, and why exactly Jesus would, would grant that, and we also don't know exactly what would happen to these demons after the pigs drowned. Uh, either I assume they would be um, were they you know uh, you know back into the air or somehow, were they still confined? We just don't know some of these different things. One of the things that we, this does help us to see is it does help us to see that these things that happened, this was objectively real. This wasn't just some uh, thing going on just in this man's mind. Uh, this this was some real reality of a spiritual dimension that was happening here. And they were able to see this because of what happened to these swine. So otherwise, we might be more tempted to say, well, this this man suffered from... Uh, schizophrenia or some other type of uh, just mental illness and not also a spiritual dimension as well. One commentator points out that one thing that we can draw from this as well is it says that animals were sacrificed for the sake of a man. When you look at the story, there are animal rights activists that despise this story. PETA, outraged by this story, because it seems that there's just terrible you know, treatment of, of these these uh, these pigs. And one thing we have to realize is the Bible does view human beings as more valuable than animals. That doesn't give license to just uh, to be be cruel, but that's a reality that some people don't recognize anymore, that there is a a, a difference between even the 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 highest animal and human beings. Because we are created in the image of God, and there's something very different as far as the value that that, that gives. I did see something that, that PETA had uh, this past week. They had posted a tweet uh, trying to stir something up and saying, give your best argument for eating bacon. And I think they thought that they'd shoot down everyone's argument, but that's an easy one. I mean, Bacon's delicious. I mean, come on, that's the tragedy here, all that lost bacon. I know in the Old Testament you weren't allowed to eat bacon, and hey, praise God that that rule has been lifted. OK Bacon is, bacon is wonderful. <clears throat> By the way, maybe too, maybe you're more familiar with uh, uh, demon-possessed chickens. I mean, after all, that, well, that's where we get deviled eggs from. Right? <laughs> So here, you know, in this, we do see, see Jesus' uh, supreme authority over these demonic forces, even 2,000 of them. There's nothing in here where the demons are saying, you know what, we got the numbers, let's do this, let's put up a fight, we can take him. No, even though there's thousands of these demons, they know that there is, they are no match for the Most High Son of God. They are trembling in fear. If you take all of the demonic forces together and Satan himself, it's still nothing compared to the unlimited power of God. So think of whose side you want to be on. Think about who is going to have the victory, that the victory has been won, that the fate is sealed, and there will be final victory in the end. There is, this is not a close contest. And Jesus also has authority over you and the uncleanliness that's in our lives. We also see total transformation in this man's life. This man is, at the end, he's clothed. He is changed. There's deliverance for this man. There's healing. There is cleansing and transformation. And that is what Jesus can do for all of us as well. And many here would testify that Jesus has done that for you already that you think of what your life was like or what your life would have been like and what Jesus did to, to cleanse you, to bring you out of, the, out of isolation, out of the tombs, that he, what he did to cover your shame, what he did to put you in a right state of mind, to change your attitude about him, all these different things that he has done for you. And maybe people could see this on the outside. Maybe it's something that you would have to be able to see into your heart to see that what the real deliverance that Jesus did, because maybe you had everyone fooled on the outside because you were a pretty good you know, church kid, but on the inside it was, it, was, it was filth, and you realize that Jesus cleansed you from that. And if you are still living in the tombs, this is the one that is present now that will, wants to call you out of this and to himself, and can and will deliver you from sin and guilt and shame if you will turn to him. In Jesus, there is deliverance and healing and transformation. And it is a total transformation that we see in this man's life. Uh, Daryl Bach, a commentator, summarizes it like this. In a complete reversal of the previously possessed man's demeanor, he is now clothed, whereas before he had been naked. He is now seated, whereas before he had been roaming. He is now associating with others as he sits at Jesus' feet. Whereas before he sought solitude, he is now of sound mind. Whereas before he had been crying out in a loud voice, and he is now comfortable in the presence of Jesus. Whereas before he wanted nothing to do with him. Jesus offers this to us as well and has the same power to enact this in our lives. But we also see at the end the reaction that people have and this gives us a question. Will you tell Jesus to leave? Or will you tell others how much He has done for you? Let's so read verse 37 as we, finish, as we finish this up. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked Him to depart from them. Asked Jesus to depart. For they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him, but Jesus sent him away saying, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. Will you tell Jesus to leave or will you tell others how much he has done for for you, I'll give some three final concluding applications from this, no matter how bad your situation is, God and Jesus Christ can rescue you. He can cleanse you, save you, deliver you, give you victory over these things. Do not think that your life is so messed up that oh, you have so much shame and guilt and that you just can 't come to him. Jesus can Rescue a man like this, he'll have no problem with you. Nothing in your life is taking him by surprise. Nothing that he hasn't seen before, and nothing that the blood that he shed on the cross is not valuable enough to take care of. We also have to see, realize in here that some people will see Jesus' authority and ask him to leave. And these people in the surrounding land, it says they they saw this happen, they asked Jesus to leave, and then the worst thing happened. They got their wish. Jesus left them. And there are many people that will stand before God on judgment day, and they will stand before God alone to be judged for their sins with no Savior, with no one to intercede for them, No one that uh, is is claiming to pay the price for for their sins because the one that could have saved them, the one that offered all of this to them, they told him, no thank you, please leave. Do not be in that position one day. If that's you, if you have pushed Jesus away for whatever reason, please repent of that now. Now. Have a change of heart and mind about that. That is the worst thing you can be doing is to push Jesus away. And while you still have breath in your lungs, call out for him, for him to come and to save you. Do not push him away. These people, they they pushed him away maybe because, well, they had a major financial loss. I mean, 2,000 of these valuable swine this was a disruption of their uh, finances. Their, their, this, this Jesus disrupted their lives, their financial pursuits, their security. And they said, you know, go away. Don't mess with my finances, my portfolio, our career, our desires. And too often that's the reason why people ask Jesus to leave now. They realize, yeah, Jesus, you could come and you could rescue me, but you're also going to, yeah, you're going to mess with my life. You're going to mess with certain things that I love and I want to hold dear And I might have to give up the sin. I might have to, there's going to be, well, changes in my life if I recognize the Lord Jesus Christ, you know, in my life. Well, yeah. And it is the thing that you need, and it is absolutely worth it. Tell Jesus you are willing to receive him and everything that entails. And finally, tell others how much Jesus has done for you. If this man can be a witness for Jesus Christ, God is calling us, God is calling you to be a witness for him as well. How about you make it a goal to tell someone this week what Jesus has done for you? To Tell them what he has done. There is so much that he has done for us. In Christ, there is salvation. In Christ, there is deliverance. In Christ, there is, there is cleansing. In Christ, there is transformation. And in Jesus Christ, there is victory. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for Jesus Christ, the Most High Son of God, who loved the world enough to come into this world to die so that all that believe in him might not perish but have eternal life. And I pray that anyone that is here that has not received Jesus would stop pushing him away, we receive him and everything that entails, and that this week they might experience the ultimate independence day, Lord God. We give you praise. and for those of us that have been set free by the blood of Jesus Christ, we praise you. help us to tell others and give you the glory. In Christ's name, we pray. Amen.